Welcome to Have You Heard, an IDF podcast. This podcast is a service of the Immune Deficiency Foundation, a nonprofit organization that improves the diagnosis, treatment, and quality of life of people affected by primary immunodeficiency. People living with PI are the zebras of the medical world, and the IDF community is one big zebra herd. In today's episode, we will be exploring low T cell counts that can be found in babies during newborn screening. Newborn screening is crucial in determining serious medical conditions and how you should plan to care for your baby if diagnosed. All right, let's get started. Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode, Low T-Cell Counts in Babies, part of the Skid Compass series. My name is Alyssa Kramer, and I'm the Director of Specialized Projects at IDF. I am excited to join you today as your guest host. An important part of a baby's care includes receiving a newborn screening at birth. This state-run public health service ensures that all babies are screened for certain conditions that could cause serious health problems. One portion of newborn screening is the blood test, or heel stick, where a small blood sample is taken from a baby's heel. As part of the blood screening, doctors measure the T-cell receptor excision circles, or TRECs, to test if they are within a normal or abnormal range. Abnormal TREC results could mean that a baby has severe combined immunodeficiency, or SCID, or it could be a different condition associated with the immune system. It is essential to learn about the medical steps parents should take if their child has an abnormal result and is diagnosed with low T-cells. We will be discussing these medical steps further today with Dr. John Rudis. Dr. Rudis is a professor of pediatrics, medicine, microbiology, and immunology, as well as section chief of allergy and clinical immunology at Medical College of Wisconsin. In 2008, Dr. Rudis was the principal investigator for the first statewide program to screen all newborns for SCID in Wisconsin. In 2010, Dr. Rudis testified to the Health and Human Services Secretary's Advisory Committee on Heritable Disorders in Newborns and Children on the successful statewide implementation of newborn screening to identify infants with SCID which resulted in the addition of SCID to the panel of newborn screening tests recommended by the United States government. Dr. Rudis is also a member of the SCID Compass core team, acting as medical advisor. Welcome, Dr. Rudis, and thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Great. So let's start off by talking about the newborn screening Trek test. Can you describe what it is and what this test indicates? Sure. Typically, After about 24 hours, um, uh, the baby gets a heel stick, um, and there's a couple drops of blood that go on a piece of filter paper, okay? And from that blood spot on a piece of filter paper, there is a punch that is taken that has a certain diameter. And from that punch, the DNA is extracted, and uh, the number of tracts or T-cell receptor excision circles are determined in the spot of blood. And since we know the area of the spot of blood that was taken, we can calculate the number of tracts per milliliter of blood in in the infant. On occasion, the, the blood is obtained 
from an IV line as well. It doesn't have to be a heel stick. But an important thing to remember about the TREK test and newborn screening, it is really we're measuring the amount or number of TREKs in the bloodstream. It doesn't reflect the number of TREKs elsewhere in the body, for example, in the bone marrow. And in general, what you should think about in terms of TREK is for each TREK, that represents one newly formed um, normal T cell that was just made in the thymus and exited and is now in the uh, peripheral blood. So the more treks that you have, the more uh, newly formed T cells that the baby has. And we've established uh, what the normals are for the trek uh, assay in each state. So there is a cutoff level. And so if the number of treks are above a certain level, that indicates that uh, the baby is very unlikely to have severe combined immune deficiency. In fact, it's extremely rare uh, for a baby to have it. And so it's a screening test for the number of naive T cells in the blood of an infant. In instances where the TREK level is really low, uh, we'll talk about that, but then further tests are indicated to determine actually what the number of T cells are and uh, what this might mean. Thank you, Dr. Brutus. So I mentioned in the introduction that newborn screening is a state-run public health service. As we know, since 2018, newborn screening for SCID is performed in all 50 states and U.S. territories. Does this mean that all babies in the U.S. undergo screening, or are there some infants that don't receive screening because of certain circumstances? Yeah, that's a great question. In the state of Wisconsin, over 99% of all infants are newborn uh, babies are screened for skid. And in general, I would say across the United States, the uh, percentage is similar. Most states uh, that do newborn screening uh, basically have what's called an opt-out approach. And that means that unless the parents specifically object to um, getting newborn screening tests on the baby, they will automatically be performed on that heel stick uh, that's the blood spot that's obtained from the baby uh, soon after birth. However, there are some parents that will opt out of this, and um, it may be for religious reasons um, or other reasons. In general, I would say this is an extremely small number of uh, babies um, overall. But it is possible that some babies uh, won't be screened due to parental objections. You said earlier that SCID is very rare. How often is an abnormal TREK test picked up and subsequent low lymphocyte result due to SCID versus some other condition? Can you describe the causes from most common to least common? Okay, this is this is the million dollar question. <laughs> okay, um, so first we have to describe what an abnormal result is. And so in the state of Wisconsin and in nearly all the other states, although remember, this is a state function and each state has their individual guidelines that they follow. 
But in general, I would say uh, what we do in Wisconsin is very similar to um, almost all the states. And so um, we only consider a test abnormal, number one, if the baby is what we'd call a full-term infant. In, in the state of Wisconsin, a full-term infant is a gestational age of 37 weeks or greater. So normally um, a full-term infant is uh, 40 weeks. And so it's still considered pretty close, close enough where we know that normal values in an infant that's uh, 37 weeks. Now in a premature infant, we don't call those tests abnormal until they reach what we call an adjusted gestational age of 37 weeks. So for example, if a baby was born with a gestational age of 32 weeks, we would wait five weeks uh, until we consider that Trek test um, abnormal. And so we don't generally act on a Trek a test until the baby, you know, is 37 weeks. So that is a really important thing to remember because we don't really have normal values in premature infants. And a lot of time premature infants might have other problems uh, going on, which could cause a low TREC number and not be really an immune problem. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in, in a second. So uh, again, first thing you need to know is that the test is only considered abnormal in a, a baby with a gestational age of 37 weeks or uh, greater. And then when, when you consider the tests that are done on all the babies, and I'll just give you an example in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, uh, we have about 70,000 live births a year. It's not a big, super big state. But I pulled data from uh, one of the years, and out of 70,000 tests, there were 24 abnormal tests, which is 0.03%. So you can see the TREK test um, is not abnormal in a lot of um, overall in a lot of babies. In, in general, pretty uncommon to have an abnormal TREK test. Now what I'd like to do is just digress for a second and to help people understand what an abnormal test is and, and why um, tests can be abnormal. If you think about, you know, the number of T cells in a baby, there are a number of, of, of ways it could be low. So the first thing that you gotta consider is, you know, T cells themselves um, have genes that control their development and allow them to differentiate into a normal T cell. And, and we call that sort of, you know, an intrinsic T cell ability to become um, and develop uh, normally. And then there's the house that the T cell develops in, which is a thymus. And so if you have an abnormal thymus, the um, T cell can't develop normally. And the most common reason why you don't have a, a normal thymus, for example, is the 22Q uh, deletion syndrome, also known as DeGeorge. Now, if you have a normal house 
And the T cells have all the genes that are necessary to develop into a normal T cell. Um, that would result in the normal production of T cells. Now, that necessarily wouldn't mean that the number of tracts are normal, however, because if you think about it, the T cell gets released from the thymus and goes into the circulation. And then once it's in the circulation, the T cell can, you can have an abnormal loss of T cells from the circulation through a variety of mechanisms. And we call these secondary causes of T cell lymphopenia in babies. So if you take all tests, all newborn screening TREC assays in Wisconsin, about 50% of the abnormal tests in a normal baby without a secondary cause, they will subsequently be found to have a normal T cell count. So the TREC assay in a normal baby uh, with an abnormal test, it will show or demonstrate a low T cell count in about 50%. Now then, if you take the other 50% of causes of a low TREC, the vast majority of those are what we call secondary causes, probably 20 to 25%, depending on uh, the state that you're in. Uh, it will be a secondary cause. And that can be acute illness. It can be congenital anomalies, heart defects, abnormalities in the lymphatic system that causes T cells to uh, exit the blood and be lost in the gut or other things. And really, the treatment for the secondary causes is to treat Whatever that cause might be, if it's a metabolic problem, to find out what the problem is, the baby's acutely ill, to treat that. If it's a congenital uh, anomaly or heart disease, um, to treat that. So now we're getting down to, you know, the remainder of the abnormal tests, which would be, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of 25%. Now, I mentioned that if you have an abnormal thymus, that can cause in a low T cell count. And in about, oh, I would say about six or 7% of all the abnormal TREC assays, we find out that the reason is due to DeGeorge syndrome or 22Q deletion syndrome. And in that case, it's due to an abnormal thymus. So now we're down to the nitty gritty. We're down to about, oh, roughly uh, 20% of the uh, abnormal track screens will be due to a problem in, potentially a problem in uh, the immune system. You know, so out of the total pie, about 7% will subsequently turn out to have severe combined immune deficiency or SCID. In Wisconsin and across the country, that works out to be about 1 in 40 to 1 in 50,000 live births, to give you an idea. Um, and then the other 12% are the babies that have low T cell counts, but they aren't SCID and they aren't, um, you know, uh, DeGeorge syndrome. So here we have a situation where the T cell count is low. We're not initially sure why it doesn't meet the definition of severe combined immune deficiency.
that is great information, Dr. Rudis. So after this newborn screening and this TREC result, if a child has an abnormal TREC screening, what is the process for further testing to determine the cause of that? Can you describe the necessary tests and what they indicate? Okay. Um, another great question. So the first test that we, we have to do is to enumerate the number of newly formed T-cells, which are called naive T-cells, and memory T-cells, as well as other lymphocytes in the blood of infants that include B-cells and NK-cells. So we enumerate naive T-cells, memory T-cells, B-cells, and NK-cells. Now, from a, from a skid standpoint, if the T-cell number is extremely low, essentially absent, then that baby likely has skid. Um, you know, we will check the function of the T cells that we uh, have or that we've isolated from the baby and see if the T cell function is normal. And in skid, the T cell function is abnormal and the number of naive T cells is extremely low. Now, I want to point out something that's really, really important. When a baby is born, a normal baby, and we just look at the number of newly formed T cells in, as a percentage in the baby's peripheral blood, they're almost all what we call naive or newly formed. Those T cells haven't seen all the pathogens in our dirty world. And so until they see what it's supposed to react to or detect, be it a viral infection or whatever, it stays uh, what we call naive. And then when it sees a virus or a bacteria, um, you know, the T cell actually becomes uh, what we call a memory T cell. And we can determine the number of memory and naive T cells by a technique called flow cytometry. So in some instances, a baby can have a normal number of T cells, but the T cells are all of what we call a memory phenotype. Those babies still can have skid. So it's really the number of naive T cells that we're very much interested in. Now then, We'll set aside the diagnosis of skid uh, for the time being, because in that situation, it's really what I would consider one of the few medical emergencies um, that we face in terms of clinical immunology, because those infants need to be uh, taken care of and the parents need to be informed and the doctors need to get ready for this baby straight away. In the other instances, this is where it, it becomes a bit more of a diagnostic challenge. So if the level of naive T cells is not low enough to be skid, but not high enough to be uh, normal, we call that idiopathic T cell lymphopenia. And all that means, idiopathic is a word that doctors use because they like fancy language when they don't know what the cause is. And idiopathic means we don't know the cause of a, this low T cell count. 
Now, what happens in, in that situation is it depends on how low the T cell count is, okay, and how low the number, numbers of naive T cells there are. If it's just slightly low, let's just, I'll just pick out a number. Say a normal T cell count would be 3,000. I'm just making up the number. And the number of T cells uh, in this case was 2,500. A lot of states would just say that's probably close enough to normal and it, it really doesn't matter. We won't follow that infant anymore. But let's just say the T cell counts 400, which is really, really low. Those are the instances where those babies will be followed uh, longitudinally. In some cases, those T cell counts will normalize. All infants, you know, their immune systems mature uh, in a different way. And sometimes it's just developmental. As the child gets older, the T cell count normalizes and the baby is fine. And in other cases, the T cell count may remain very low. And then it's incumbent upon the physician to try to figure out the genetic cause for that low number of T cells. For this additional testing, which you referred to as flow cytometry, is that just a standard blood draw or is it something more complex? Okay. Yeah, it is just a standard blood draw. So in basically it'll be a couple milliliters maybe three or four milliliters of blood, depending on the lab. We can do the, uh, the flow cytometry here in Wisconsin on as little as a, a milliliter of blood. So we're really, really good at, um, at doing this. But a very small amount of blood, and, and then there's a fancy machine uh, that, that you use um, in conjunction with antibodies that specifically recognize naive T cells or memory T cells or B cells and uh, NK cells. And from that, we, we determine the actual number of those different lymphocyte subsets in a milliliter of blood. And we have normal values for all that. So um, that is the gold standard test to determine if the TREC assay is sort of a true positive or a false positive. Wow, that was a lot of great information. Thank you, Dr. Rudis. So now we're going to take a quick break and we will talk some more with Dr. Rudis in just a few moments. No matter where you are along your journey, IDF wants to help you manage living with primary immunodeficiency, or PI. As a community-empowered organization, IDF can provide you with support, education, and resources to help you cope with a wide variety of issues related to PI, including physical and mental health, insurance, and relationships. For more information, please visit www.primaryimmune.org. Welcome back. Dr. Rudis is here with us discussing how to navigate a diagnosis of low T cells in babies. So far, we've talked about understanding a TREC test and determining what those results could mean. Now, I'd like to discuss the importance of long-term follow-up with these children. 
Dr. Rudis. So for those infants that maybe don't have a true skid diagnosis and live in this gray area of low lymphocytes where maybe a lab says, oh, it's not skid and it might normalize, what happens to them? Um, I know you said some of them um, may normalize or some of them just have this low level for a while, but for most of them, what happens as they kind of grow and age? Again, that's an area that I I still think we need um, better data on, but it is a, a good proportion of those infants, maybe as many as half, uh, will normalize over time. It sort of depends on how you define, you know, each state is a little different on what their cutoff might be. Um, you know, you can imagine a situation where the cutoff is, you know, there might be a state that will even follow slightly low T-cell counts, and then they normalize. And other states will say, no, I want a really low one. I'll only follow those. So we don't have really good data on, on that. But it's clear that there are infants that will continue to have um, a persistently low, naive T-cell count. And under that situation, again, this is where I think it's really important to have the baby seen at a center um, where the doctors are are used to sort of uh, thinking about this and performing the tests that are necessary to help you come up with a diagnosis. Here in Wisconsin, uh, initially, we will do genetic testing that will include all known causes of uh, severe combined immune deficiency and all known genetic causes of low T cells. Okay, so it'll be a pretty comprehensive genetic test. Now, remember there, you know, we still don't have the answer in all cases, but in general, in general, many times this test will um, result in a, a genetic diagnosis. If in that situation, we don't come up with a genetic diagnosis, uh, at least in Wisconsin, if they're referred to our center, then we will actually um, do what's called whole exome sequencing. And that's where we actually sequence all of the genes in a baby and try to look for a gene that might cause a very, very low um, T cell count. This strategy is identical to the strategy that is used uh, in babies with skid. So in babies with skid, we really want to find out what the genetic diagnosis is. Initially, we'll do um, what's called targeted sequencing, where we'll analyze not all the genes of a baby, but what are the most likely genes to cause skid or the genes that are known to cause skid. And if we don't find that, then we'll go ahead and sequence every gene. And then after that, it sort of depends on what you find. There are cases where um, the baby will have low T cell counts and um, we won't have a genetic diagnosis. In skid, a genetic diagnosis is not necessary to make the decision for a definitive treatment. So, for example, if you have SCID and meet the diagnostic criteria of SCID, even if you don't have a gene, uh, a known gene 
that caused uh, severe combined immune deficiency, it'll be recommended that you undergo definitive treatment. And by definitive treatment, I mean most commonly uh, a bone marrow transplant, also known as a, a hematopoietic stem cell transplant. In some instances, it could be gene therapy, although that's still pretty uncommon. And um, in one case, uh, ADA deficiency or adenine deaminase deficiency, um, an enzyme uh, might be given to the baby that replenishes the enzyme that's uh, absent uh, that causes skid. And um, that can help alleviate the low T cell count. I would say nowadays, in the long haul, enzymatic supplementation for ADA deficiency is more of a short-term, not a long-term fix. And I think most centers, nearly all, will go for a bone marrow transplant or gene therapy under that circumstance. Thanks for that, Dr. Rudis. So for these children with low lymphocytes but no clear diagnosis, how often should they be seen or following up with a clinician for monitoring? Mm. And that's, that's a great, great question. And this is where it gets into be the art of, of medicine because each state and each center might have a little bit different approach. But in general, what will happen is the first thing we will uh, determine is, you know, what do we do about vaccinations, for example? You know, if the T cell count is really, really low, but not skid, we may say, you know what, we would recommend at this point not to get live viral vaccines. And so un under that circumstances, vaccinations um, that are have attenuated viral vaccines won't be given. However, you know, the babies with low but not absent T cells, we still will recommend that they get their other immunizations. And that's useful for a number of reasons in that um, we can determine if the baby, for example, can make an antibody response to tetanus or other antigens. So the uh, frequency of follow-up in a baby with a low number of T-cells is really determined by how low that T-cell count is. If it's sort of slightly low or, you know, it's off by 25%, you might tell the parents, give some advice and say, you know what, we'll see you back in three months. We'll repeat the uh, T-cell count at that and, and we'll just sort of follow you in the long haul and, and see how things go. On the other hand, if it's, you know, not skid, but it's really, really low, we're probably going to see that baby more frequently. And nowadays with, you know, the COVID pandemic, we do use uh, telemedicine many times to sort of talk to the mom and dad and look at the baby and see how things are going and uh, bring the baby in when we need to do uh, further testing. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you or that we didn't touch on today that you think is important for parents to know? Um, I, I think a couple things that, that are very important. You know, if the baby has skid, for example, it's really important um, that the clinical immunologist 
get in touch with the parents immediately and sort of discuss, you know, um, what's going to happen in the immediate future. So, um, for example, in some instances uh, with severe combined immune deficiency, the baby will be brought into the hospital and a number of tests will be performed, but the baby may be then discharged and sent home uh, with the parents. And until, you know, a, a good HLA match is found, et cetera, that baby will be on prophylactic um, antibiotics and uh, will also be on, for example, gamma globulin replacement or a way that we replenish or give the baby antibodies either by vein or subcutaneously. In, in those situations, you know, we'll give specific advice uh, to the parent about, for example, only use um, boiled water, no crowds, limiting visitors, etc. Other centers will have the baby uh, in the hospital until the bone marrow transplant occurs. Here at a medical college of Wisconsin, you know, we, if the situation, the social situation, uh, is good and the baby is uh, near our hospital in the event that something, you know, w- the baby would need immediate evaluation, we allow the parents or give the parents the option of taking the, the baby home. And so I think, you know, in the case of SCID, the two things immediately that the parents need to think about is one, and this is probably the most important thing, is the center that is evaluating my baby for SCID skilled in the care of babies with SCID? And do do they do a lot of, for example, bone marrow transplants for SCID or other immune deficiencies? Because those centers, I think, are going to give you the highest likelihood of, of having a great outcome. For skid. So, for example, in, in Wisconsin, to my knowledge, once a baby's been diagnosed uh, with skid, we've not lost a single baby yet, knock on wood. Now, the numbers of babies in Wisconsin is going to be a lot less than, say, um, California or New York. Um, so, I'm sure that if, you know, over time, unfortunately, we will likely. Uh, not have um, an outcome like that. But I do think an important question to ask uh, is, is this a center where you're skilled in managing these babies? Um, Can you give me an idea of what the outcomes are? And if not, you know, can your doctor or um, give you another um, recommendation for a place? And the Immune Deficiency Foundation can actually be a resource as well. They have, uh, they know of centers that are skilled in the management of babies with SCID. And um, this would be uh, one situation, if you don't get the answer that you want, that you can reach out to the Immune Deficiency Foundation. And they actually have a registry of centers that are skilled in the treatment of um, a severe combined immune deficiency. And I think the same thing would apply to those infants with really low T-cell counts as well. You just want to make sure that um, the doctors that are caring for your baby are, are skilled and have, have done this and do this as 
you know, routinely um, so that the outcome can be as good as possible. Wow, Dr. Rudis, it sounds like newborn screening is such a complex process. I really appreciate you taking the time to break that down for our listeners today. Thank you so much, Dr. Rudis, for being with us here today and sharing your knowledge and expertise with those tuning in. Thank you for having me. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. As part of IDF's mission, we hope to foster a community empowered by education like this episode. Continue to share this information and join us for more podcast episodes in the future as we explore the topics that mean the most to you. Until then, all of us here at IDF want to wish you good health and strength. Take care. This podcast is a service of the Immune Deficiency Foundation. The Skid Compass series is supported by a grant through the Health Resources and Service Administration, or HRSA, an agency of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. If you like our show and want to learn more, please subscribe to this podcast so future episodes will be sent to your device automatically. To learn more about primary immunodeficiency and the PI community, please visit the IDF website at www.primaryimmune.org. For more information on SCID, visit www.skidcompass.org. And if you have a question you would like answered, email us at idf at primaryimmune.org. Thanks for tuning in.